Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Hello, hello. Welcome to The Nose. I think we have an unusually strong lineup of topics today. To say nothing of an unusually strong panel. All our panels are strong. There's sometimes, to be honest with you, when I look at the list of topics, I think, I don't really have that much to say about that. But I really have things to say about, not that it's my job, it's their job to say things, but uh, about all the topics today. Uh, Towards the uh, middle to end of the show, we're going to talk about Ted Lasso, uh, an inveigling new comedy uh, on Apple Plus. And sorry about that, but you just have to get it. I mean, you have to be like the Scarlet Pimpernel. You, you, you run in and you get Hulu and you watch some things. You cancel it. You, know, you get Apple Plus and then you cancel it. You know, just remember to watch some things before you cancel it. It's the only way you can survive these days. All right, so we got that. We'll also talk about Billie Eilish singing the new Bond movie song, which is an excuse to talk about Bond movie songs in general. Uh, and we're going to start. Uh, we got the very sad news over the weekend about the death of uh, Alex Trebek. Not completely unexpected. He'd been battling, battling pancreatic cancer for a really long time or a fairly long time. And that's sort of occasioned now that we've had an appropriate period of mourning some speculation about who might take over. No one can replace Alex Trebek, but someone must succeed him. There are some candidates out there in the wind being discussed and our panelists also. I'm sorry, I'm reaching for some other notes here. Um, and our panelists also have come up with some pretty interesting ideas. Who are these panelists, you may ask? Jim Chapdelaine is an Emmy-winning musician, producer, composer, recording engineer, and patient advocate for people with rare cancers. Irene Papoulis teaches writing at Trinity College. She joins us through the miracle of Skype. Uh, so we're going to get going with that first topic there. What happens when they run out of Alex Trebek hosted um, Jeopardies? He, uh, although he was not in, in good shape at all. He insisted on staying there. I believe he recorded stuff all the way to the end of the year. But then, but then what? So, um, so Irene, as we were kind of kicking this idea around a little bit, one thing that you said is successors are complicated. The idea of a successor is always complicated, whether it's someone taking over for Garrison Keillor or, you know, who comes after Walter Cronkite. Say a little bit more about that. Um, well, when people have, you know, so sometimes I think when people have uh, such an identification in their role, like Alex Trebek does with Jeopardy, part of me just says, if he's not there, that's it. Mm-hmm. We have to just have another game show. Um, because, um, it, or something has to, the new person has to do something a little bit dramatic in terms of being a different person. Like you wouldn't want to have sort of a second rate version of Alex Trebek doing Jeopardy which I'm afraid might be the case if the guy, Ken Jennings, you know, gets it. Because he would sort of tr- maybe try to be doing more like trying to be tr- Alex Rebecca, which he couldn't be. So I think it would make sense that it would it should be somebody that has something, a different kind of pizzazz, you know, so or a different kind of character. That's my, you know, because Walter Cronkite, I mean, I was saying that after it's hard to imagine, even when I say the words the news, I still think about Walter Cronkite and seeing anybody else 
trying to fill that role always, they always seem to fall short in some way of having that sense of a person who really knows about the news and really cares about the news is going to tell you the truth. It's very, there are very few people since him that had that same kind of power. Right. Well, I should say we have an all OK Boomer show today. Uh, mm -hmm. So some of these references, uh, well, I think, I think our audience is pretty boomery, too. So we're, we're fine there. So, yeah, I mean, Jim, before we even talk about successors, I mean, I think Irene is kind of mentioning sort of the defining characteristic of Alex Trebek, which was we always felt we were in safe hands and he never acted bigger than the show. You know, I mean, he really defined the show, although I did spend an afternoon walking around Hartford with Art Fleming, who was the precursor to Alex Trebek. It wasn't always Alex Trebek. Um, but I mean, he really defined the show um, without really, I don't think, ever trying to rise above it, right? He was in the service of the show. Yeah, but I, I think it is important that, first of all, that you walk around with Art Fleming. That, that is important. Um, and, and it's it's too bad Oops, because Walter Cronkite would be a perfect successor. Um, <laughs> but, but to that, um, let's not forget that Alex Trebek was a successor who redefined the show. So hopefully what they'll do is redefine it and not sort of infotain it up too much. Um, like I think if they got somebody too showy and hammy, it would really ruin the show. I thought something Irene said uh, during one of our emails was really interesting, that it was really difficult for a woman to do that. Um, and I was trying to think of, you know, we had a brief time to discuss who those women might be. But I think it would be a cool thing to have a woman. Um, to, well, to actually, so let's pursue that. You and Irene both, and, and I think I could sort of throw in my lot with this idea a little bit, came up with uh, Katie Tour. Uh, as a, a possible uh, person who could do this. I mean, one of the things that we have to acknowledge is a lot of the people who would be good at this have jobs that they would be unlikely to leave and would find difficult to do while doing this. So, yeah, I think Mary, Mary Louise Kelly would be a great Jeopardy host, but she's kind of busy right now. But let's just stay with the Katie Tour idea. I think, Irene, it came from you first, but Jim liked it too. So, so talk about that. Well, I mean, I think when I think about women I, and, and in that role, I think they have to be super, super confident at the same time, but they can't be, you know, without, or not women, but anyone has to be really confident, but you don't want, as you said, a show person, or as Jim said, you know, like it has to be somebody um, who can be, she can be confident, but she also, you feel like she's your, she's your best, she's your friend, she's your neighbor, she could be your next door neighbor, you know, somebody that you could just chat with. And Alex Trebek has that too. Like he cares about, he cared about everybody. You, you would have to feel like the person really cares about you. But also they can't, and this is where I think it, it could be, a, it, it, a lot of times women have a problem with, they can't be self-conscious at all. Like that makes me think of Meredith Vieira on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I always felt like she had an element of, you know, self-consciousness or sort of awareness of thinking about how she's coming across too much as opposed to just embodying it, which, and so I feel like Katie Turk could just laugh with everybody and be open and ask them questions without feeling like you're, she's thinking, okay, do I look okay doing this? You know? I, I want to just jump in and say that uh, Trebek on the, one of the rare occasions where he expressed any interest in anybody uh, succeeding him 
Uh, he mentioned Ben Mankiewicz, uh, and he also mentioned a, a woman I don't really know named Laura Coates. She's a legal analyst for CNN. She has her own show. She's uh, African-American, uh, and um, that's about, I mean, I don't know. I've got her Wikipedia page here, but uh, I, don't, I don't know anything about her. But let's stay with Laura, with, uh, with Katie Tour for a second, because, Jim, you didn't hate this idea either. No, I, uh, there's sure um, who has had the other either an enviable or, or not enviable draw card in 2016 when they were all trying to cover the Republican uh, uh, primaries and there were like 17 candidates. She drew Trump and her life has changed forever. Right. Um, but I think she rose to the occasion and but part of her, even when she does the news, as smart and commanding as she could be, and she can, she could be a really um, good interrogator, but she's a little bit, I always sense there's something like a little kooky about her that we're not quite getting all of the picture with her. And, and that might serve her well doing a, a, doing a gig like Jeopardy. To right. me, no, there's the a sense bit of, of an unknown mystery about Katie Tour. I listened yeah. to her book which is called like unbelievable. I can't remember what it's called. But anyway, I did listen to it on Audible with her reading it. That's my primary acquaintance with her. And I could sort of back that up that there's kind of an interesting not super news woman um, um, quality to her. She, I mean, she's she's something else uh, as well. And as Jim, as you pointed out, her parents, well, you said they invented fake news. No, they invented like chasing people around in heli helicopters uh, uh, for for news footage. I mean, they, they invented the OJ uh, chase that's scene. The, that's the uncle of fake news, though, isn't it? Yeah, kind of the uncle of fake, fake news. Yeah. Let me just go through a few other ideas and you can say yay or nay. So I don't understand why people, I, there's something very polarizing about Ken Jennings. I don't really have a big problem with him. I'd rather have him than Brad Rutter, who's the other Jeopardy champion, who's him. Mean, he already is doing, I think, game shows or he's pursued his own projects and stuff like that. Uh, I think James Holzhauer uh, is a little bit too Vegasy and slick to do this thing. But I want to bring up at least one idea that has gained a lot of traction on the Internet, which is LeVar Burton. Uh, and uh, there's already an online petition for him to get this. Um, you know, Irene, one thing about LeVar Burton is... He's older than I think he is. Like, you know, my immediate reaction is, wow, could he see the board through the visor? Would it be okay, you know? Uh, and then it just turns out he's like 63 years old or something. He's, you know, he, I'm, which is fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with being 63 years old. Uh, but he's, you know, the, our mental picture of LeVar Burton may be slightly out of date. It's all Kunta Kinte and Jordi LaForge and Reading Rainbow. Uh, and I don't know, how, how does the idea strike you? I think it's great. I also had the same experience of think, thinking of him with those glasses, and and I. But I just looked. At, I looked up a clip and saw he has gray hair, you know, and he's doing. He was talking about reading and things like that. So I think that would be a great idea because he would be. He's not Alex Trebek. He has a different kind of. He has confidence, but it's a different kind of confidence from Alex Trebek's, and I think he could do an interesting job, actually. Um, and Jim, let me just throw another one over to you. I, you know, I just, it, this is a really great idea, unless it's not, that you brought up Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, say a little bit more about how that one feels for you. Uh, you know, first of all, would he do it? I don't know. He, he's a little cockier than some of the people mm -hmm. we're talking about. I mean, he, he does have an outsized personality, but he's also just got enormous intellectual ballast and 
that's the kind of thing that would serve people well. He also has a great sense of humor. Um, and so, I don't, you know, he seemed like an interesting choice to me. I have another choice. Okay. Okay, go ahead. What's your other choice? How about Hillary Clinton? Whoa! <laughs> you do. You have. You cannot lose fifty percent of your audience on the first day. Um, <laughs> she. She sort of. I don't know. I feel like it would be really fun to watch her do it. Like just once. Yeah, just yeah. just once. But she has a guest host. They're running a business there, and you know, I mean, it's like you know, fifty percent of the audience would be gone on day one. So, um, but it's a great idea. Uh, actually, it's politically, George Stephanopoulos has been mentioned as being interested in it. Stephanopoulos theoretically wants it. Uh, Anderson Cooper's been mentioned as well. I think these people are people who think I can go there, I can record 20 of them in three days, you know, and then go back to what uh, whatever else it is that I do, um, which is, you know, they George, do do a lot of them in, in, in just a few days. Yeah. George Stephanopoulos would be good because he, it has to be somebody that has a, a real sense of humor, which I think he has too. And that's another thing about Katie, you know, she really has a sense of humor. You have, and Hillary Clinton has a hidden one. You know, Alex Trebek always. You always felt like he had like a little bit of a not snarky, but just a little bit of a humorous distance from things. And I think that that's a good quality too for the person to have. Yeah, I I actually think that's you know earlier you were saying he cared about all the guests. I sort of felt a little bit differently. I felt that Alex cared about the show and the brand. You know, and you know there there were people like. I always had the feeling he didn't like Arthur Chu, for example. Um, you know, there are certain people where you sort of feel like he's glad to get rid of that person or, or, or whatever. That, and, but that was kind of fun. That was kind of fun to sort of figure out, try to figure out what Alex's sphinx-like attitude was towards, you know, toward, towards everybody on you the show. You seem like he could be quietly elevated and, and that he would use his elevation on occasion with a guest, especially if they didn't take it seriously or, or he felt like they were doing something... Uh, that he didn't like. All right. So it is being suggested by Jonathan McPince that they should do some weeks of guest hosts. Uh, not a bad idea. Um, and, um, you know, sort of see who clicks and stuff like that. So um, I like that Irene is going hard with Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, well, that people the idea that the different. idea that Ken Jennings would be polarizing, but Hillary Clinton wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm lost at this point. Um, <laughs> All right. So we have to shift gears here. We have to talk about uh, there's a Bond movie that's going to come out one of these days. Uh, and the song has already been released. The official video of the song has already been released. It is done by uh, Billie Eilish, uh, who is, I think, an inspired choice. Let's hear a little bit of No Time to Die. Was I stupid to love you? Was I reckless to help? Was it obvious to everybody else that I fall for a lie? You were Uh, we should say that this uh, particular song ends. Uh, Jim could probably help us through this, but it ends 
uh, with uh, an E minor chord. I'm being told by Jonathan McPants that the official seven. James Bond chord is E minor, not is E minor major nine, uh, which is also known as the spy chord. Um, right. So, <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I watched the video. I looked at the whole thing. I like Billie Eilish anyway, Jim. I, I feel like, in the sense that. There's something very languid about a lot of the really good Bond, Bond songs. I mean, other than Shirley Bassey, people who bring too much energy to them. I'm looking at there, you, Madonna. A, I think there's a... Go ahead. You know, I, I think there's a, a certain architecture to the classic James Bond songs. And, and I think we would take a few, few, like, let's take Duran Duran right off the table uh, as defying anything, having anything to do with James Bond. But if you think of it as Shirley Bassey, this, uh, Billie Eilish seems to be returning to form. There's sort of the John Barry-ish uh, orchestration. I think that's, that's yes. really, I, I really like this. I, I like Billie Eilish too. There, there's also something going on here, and I'm, I haven't quite figured out what it is, but there is the James Bond of his times. And, and maybe that's why, to, at least to me, the Roger Moore, James Bond songs were so 80s, whereas the, the were reflected in the 60s, but last much longer. They have a much longer lifespan to me. And this is a return. I, I think Adele brought it back, too. But this is a real return to form for me, I, I think. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, Jan, John uh, Barry, who kind of invented the Bond song, invented the early Bond songs, he would have loved, loved that orchestration and that kind of ascending note pattern. Da, 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 da. Uh, it's getting like, off with that, that drugged out vibe that you guys were talking to, and then ending big. Yeah. I think ending big is sort of a, or it, at some point. So, Irene, your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, not drugged out, but, lang you know, I like the word languorous or lush or exciting or mysterious. You know, it's sort of the, the mood that evokes is, you know, there's, there's, there's mysterious love at midnight and there's intrigue and there's adventure and there's just kind of like everybody kind of, you know, having mysterious encounters with people, uh, you know, in the night. There's something just night exciting mood to it that I just love. I mean, my rules about Bond songs, something I've thought about way too much, usually in the company of uh, Steve Metcalf, a regular guest on the show and a collaborator with me and Jim on a lot of things, uh, is, first of all, women women do it better. Nobody does it better, but women do it better. There aren't really a lot of male successes. There's Sir Paul, but that song is a mess. Um, and I'm sorry, and, it is. And, and, you know, whereas I think Carly Simon uh, is, uh, you know, among the tops, um, in terms of delivery, I thought Sheena Easton was good. I don't think that's a great song. Uh, I'm a huge fan, as people probably know, of Nancy Sinatra uh, singing You Only Live Twice. Uh, this song has been covered by everybody since then. Or her, because of her, the flatness of her affect, she is perfect at singing that song. You can't sound like you're too energized or excited about it, unless you're Shirley Bassey. I should say that I'm kind of from or I'm married into or something, a family where we will stand around the piano and do four or five James Bond songs. My former wife does an excellent Shirley Bassey impersonation. Um, you know, this is like, you know, this is a subject that I could dilate upon for quite some time, but I don't think that would be a good idea. Um, but there's, yeah, I don't know. 
you know, to both of you, I, I think you know, we talked about Sean Connery last week or two weeks ago or whatever, you know, and there's a way in which Bond for a long time defined Jim, what is cool, you know, or at least a version of what is cool. And, and you know, cool usually doesn't involve a lot of energy. Um, and, and I think that's a little bit there in, in the music. Yeah, and, and maybe what you're talking about a little bit to me as you're, as, you're, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, you know, Sean is just the right amount of energy. Mm. And, and uh, the new James Bond, who, who I actually kind of like is my maybe second favorite uh, James Bond, is a little more athletic and, and maybe has seen a few Tom Cruise movies. And so you would expect that the music would get too athletic and histrionic, but it hasn't. And so um, it, it's sort of reflective of the time. Um, I, I lost my thread, but I was kind of lost in this idea of, of how much the James Bonds and the music is reflected, uh, reflective of the moment in which they're made. So, yeah. So, um, I, Irene, another thing that you brought up was you sort of wondered whether that particular kind of heavy lidded coolness uh, works with the, the generation of, say, the undergraduate students that you would be uh, teaching at Trinity. Although the fact that Billie Eilish is a big star and that she epitomizes heavy lidded coolness uh, suggests that it, it's not completely wasted on them. Right. Yeah. So I think actually that is it's it's kind of intriguing that she she epitomizes it. And I don't see it as I mean, because it's almost like they don't have time, you know, because part of a big the heavy lidedness is I mean, you said um, lack not a lot of energy. And I think it's 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 not a lot of energy, but it's sort of like languid energy. And that if something interesting comes up, sure, the energy can 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 rise to the occasion. Whereas now I think there's just much more quickness, quickness, quickness. And so the idea of like lying around with somebody all afternoon is just not what they do, what my students do from what I, from my, from what I understand by talking to them, you know, even, you know, in any kind of context. So, so it seems like it, there was this, there was, there was much more of an appreciation for just sitting around for hours chatting or doing whatever you know that i don't see now but it's but maybe there's a yearning for it too you know people have a yearning to have that kind of adventures those kinds of adventures where you're just really sort of um you know i'm doing whatever but it's not because you have to be somewhere and you have a, an appointment or you're going someplace or you're doing something it's just kind of empty the the beauty of emptying of 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 not empty time, but just like filling the time with something besides things to do, which is what so many people are obsessed with. All right. So um, I'm just going to quickly just end this by with a little quick story, because uh, there's a lot of stories behind these uh, songs. So in the case of the song Thunderball, uh, um, it, there was actually another song written by John Barry and a lyricist. It was called Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And it was it was written because they thought Thunderball was a stupid word and they didn't want to have it in their song. Um, and at the last minute or close to the last minute, the studio said, oh, no, 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 no. It's got to say Thunderball. So they banged out another song really fast. It sounds like kind of a pastiche uh, of Bond musical tropes. It's not really, 
uh, a coherent song the way we want it to be. Uh, and they gave it to Tom Jones. Tom Jones could not figure out what this song was about. Uh, John Barry assured him it wasn't about anything. So did Shirley Bassey, his fellow Welsh person. He called up Shirley Bassey and said, what is this thing? Uh, and then he gives this very kind of studied reading of it, like he really thinks it is about something. Uh, and then famously in the studio, there's one long high Tom Jones note at the end which he holds for a really long time. And it is said that he fainted in the studio. The room started to spin around. <laughs> so that's that's putting energy into your song. That's laying it all on the line. Uh, all right, so uh, we're going to take a little break here. Uh, we're going to come back, uh, and we're going to talk about Ted Lasso. And I also, I figured out a Papulian through line that I can I can put together for the, uh, for the recommendations. He's the man, the man. A cold finger Beckons you To enter his web of sin But don't go in Golden words he will pour in your ear But his lies can't disguise what you feel All right, um, the series... Uh, Ted Lasso, a 10-episode series on Apple TV+, Plus, uh, is headlined by Jason Sudeikis. The rest of the cast is basically people that you've never seen in your life or people that you think you might have seen in something else, but you can't remember what. Um, probably more of the first than the second. Uh, I, I suppose Anthony Head, who plays a, a small size or medium size role in it, might be the next most famous person. I'm not sure. Uh, and you would remember him if you're one of the people who's watching uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He, Slayer. He is Giles in that. He now he's a faithless, rich, abusive ex-husband uh, in this particular thing. The story is about a kind of not particularly splashy American football coach who is recruited uh, to coach uh, a uh, an English soccer team or a football team, obviously. Uh, and the reason is because the ex-wife of the aforementioned horrible, abusive, bazillionaire, nasty guy uh, has now inherited in the team and she wants the, to get revenge on him by ruining the team. So she hires as a coach this naive, uh, this uh, in, this uh, cheerful innocent who knows nothing about the job he has been hired to do. Let's hear a little bit from the beginning of all that. Yeah, bo, bo. Remember what you said to me our first day coaching at Wichita State? Lose the ponytail? Relax, they're just kids. Well, these fellas sure as heck ain't kids. Hey, look at Isaac. He looks like Rodin sculpture in cleats. Boots. Hmm? They call cleats boots. Well, I thought you said that the trunk of a car was a boot. Also a boot. Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. All right, gentlemen. Let's go ahead and do a little seven on seven. We're going to call this drill the exorcist. It's all about controlling possession. All right, let's go. 
All right. The uh, 10 episodes are peppered with exactly that kind of throwaway joke. Uh, I think Ted Lasso doesn't lean on great, big, huge belly laughs. It just sort of peppers you with jokes like we call this drill the exorcist because it's all about controlling possession. So um, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk a little bit about it. Uh, our guest uh, panelists today are Irene Papoulis and Jim Chapdelaine. Uh, I think we're fixing up Jim's Zoom connection right now. So I'll go to you first, uh, Irene. Uh, I don't know. What, what was your overall impression here? My overall, well, I really like Jason Sudeikis and the character that he always plays of the cheesy, charming guy with hidden pain that you can sort of see that comes out in interesting ways. Um, so my overall, um, I, at first, when I first started watching it, I was like, oh no, it's a, it's a show about, you know, soccer. I don't know if I'm interested, but I got completely sucked in because of the character is the characterization in the show. And I, so I really, my, if I'm going to say an overview, I really liked it. Right. This, by the way, is, you should know, a gigantic blind spot of yours. You refused to watch Friday Night Lights because you thought it was about football. Um, so um, so, you, so Ted Lasso should at least teach you that lesson, that these things can be. It has. Uh, yes. So, so Jim, Jim, how about you? Just uh, give me your basic impression. I also did not watch Friday Night Lights. Um, I, I, first of all, let's thank Pants for uh, just dropping this into our timeline. It, mm-hmm. This came to me as a complete surprise. I knew nothing about it, which is the way I prefer to get anything we're talking about. And I've kind of expanded that like any show that I'm sort of interested in watching, I'll avoid criticism or, or notices about it. Um, I, I really fell in love with the show. And I like that we're led to believe it's a sitcom and this situation that that the calm is derived from is pretty standard fish out of water stuff. But then it turns into sort of more of a dramedy. I don't know. Yeah. Is, is my, I'm just testing my signal here too. No, your signal's good. You said a million oh, times okay, better. Okay, good. So I, I like the misdirection of that. Um, that at first I thought, oh, I see he's a funny guy. And I like the sincerity with which Jason uh, Sudeikis plays this which is unironic and um, and we th- he kind of is introduced to us as a rube, but he really is kind of a sage and not in a savant way, like he's earned it. Um, I, all of those things seem like clever misdirection that sort of lead us into caring for these characters that uh, initially might be cartoons. Yeah, yeah, they go pretty far into his marriage, for example, or, or his, you know, his failing marriage and much more than you would expect in a show like that. Yeah, I, I will. Go, I don't want to put too, uh, I don't find a point on this, but but I do feel one of the one of the reasons that people are liking the show and gravitating towards this show. First of all, it's kind of a low stakes show where there's some things to be worried about how they're going to come out, but you don't have to be too worried. Uh, and the whole time in a very gentle way, you are being encouraged to laugh at things that are actually truly funny. But more than that, obviously, this is a show about leadership. And it's not a really serious show about leadership. It's not even as much of a show about leadership as Friday Night Lights. But um, it is. And, and there are there is one scene that kind of stayed with me in particular. There's a, a, a player, the best player on the team for a while is a guy named Jamie Tart. He's a prima donna uh, and uh, he's selfish. 
Uh, and um, there's one point in which he's sort of gone a bridge too far, and you see Ted Lasso, Jason Sudeikis, storm across the locker room toward him and very subtly slow himself down so that by the time he arrives at Jamie's locker, he is ready to talk to Jamie in a very different way. Um, and, and over and over again, you see him get results, you know, occasionally by having to be firm, especially with Jamie, but mostly by trying to figure out who the person is that he's dealing with and what's in this person's, you know, baggage. What, what's it, what, what are all the suitcases this person is dragging around and how do I get that uh, to become a positive rather than a negative? And I think, you know, Irene, at a time when we're really sort of starved for good leadership, for effective leadership. We're in the middle of this horrific crisis and we have no leadership. The idea of this guy, I mean, it, it's like watching porn or something. It's, like, <laughs> it's leadership porn instead of competence porn. That's true. Somebody that knows how to deal with difficult personalities. You know, he really, he really, you know, and it's sort of like he's, he doesn't even know how to play soccer, but he knows how to deal. He, he, he just like scopes out the personalities of the people and figures out what they need. Yeah. But another and another version of the porn, the, you know, like a certain kind of porn for 2020 is just of all of them. It's actually connected to what I was saying before about just hanging out, you know, like being with other people co coming in every day and seeing each other and they're all together and they're funny and then they go to a bar and they talk and um, and and, you know, that's that's, you know, I. I personally miss that so much that kind of activity that's kind of just like casual spontaneous activity we just can't do right now so it does feel like I'm watching it like uh, it's so much fun at least I get to be in their locker room with them having a chat it feels like to watch it yeah, <laughs> yeah Jim, but, Jim talk so. about uh, the Ted Lasso leadership uh, book that you'll be very soon writing <laughs> uh, uh, ghostwriting really uh, you know what I'm really glad both of you referenced sort of the times that we live in because they are fraught and um, anxious times and and I kept wondering would I be loving this show as much if it was you know eight years ago I don't know and and, and it doesn't really matter because I, I do love it but it, it does seem like the right show to come along at this time, because like you said, Colin, the things, the stakes are not huge, but we do care how they resolve and we do end up caring for the, the, the people. And like Irene said, it, the feeling of being in a crowded locker room at one time might've not been so appealing, but now, now it seems like, yeah, I'd like to be in a crowded locker room. Uh, yeah. So, um I think if I had introduced politics, it would have been disingenuous. But you guys did it for me. All right. So, uh, but that was um, hovering in the backdrop for me. I, I want to drag you in all here also. I mean, there are some very interesting performances here, but there's one kind of almost titanic comic performance by somebody who looks like a titan. Uh, her name, I believe, is Hannah Waddingham. She plays uh, the the female opposite to, to Ted Lasso. She is the the. Uh, owner of the team with impure motives uh, beaten down by uh, a very bad divorce and therefore intending to use Ted Lasso to sabotage the team. And really from Jump Street, uh, Ted Lasso begins to soften this uh, towering uh, inferno of a woman. Let's hear a little bit of that. Go ahead, take a nibble. That's it. Away you go. May. Where did you get these? Well, I'm glad you like them. 
You know what? I'll start bringing these to you every morning. Call Biscuits with the Boss. That really isn't necessary. Okay, well, mark this down as the first time we disagree, then. Actually, no, second time. Uh, tea is horrible. Absolute garbage water. I don't know why y'all do that. Anywho, you know, we can't really be, uh, you know, good partners unless we get to know each other, right? Ted. We're going to start simple. Real easy, real easy one. We're going to no. do uh, first concert, best concert. You go ahead and go first. Go, right off the bat. Uh, the Spice Girls. And, uh... The Spice Girls. Same answer for both? Oh, I love that. My turn. First concert. Well, I mean, come on. It was the gambler himself, Mr. Kenny Rogers. Okay. You gotta know I'm when sorry. to hold him. Ted. When to hold him. Know when to fold him. When to fold him. Coach know Lasso. When to walk away. Know when to... Stop. Ted, I'm sorry. Biscuits with the boss is not something that I have time for this morning. Or ever. I hear you, boss. Loud and clear. There we go. Okay. You're gonna show up tomorrow with biscuits, aren't you? Oh, come on now. I would not bet on that. <laughs> I mean, unless you want to win a buttload of money. <laughs> so, Irene, uh, Hannah Waddingham uh, was actually in Game of Thrones as a very punitive, sadistic, uh, non-acolyte uh, follower of the High Sparrow. Uh, but basically, I've never seen her before. Um, and... She's uh, 5'11", and she uh, is striking looking, uh, and she is playing, I think, a pretty complicated role where she has to wear two or three different emotions on her face at any given time. It also turns out she's a very good singer. That's part of her career, uh, and uh, we find this out in a karaoke bar, uh, how good a singer she is. But I feel like, I mean, I almost feel like, where's this woman been? She's amazing. Why haven't I seen her in like 20 things? I know. Uh, you said she was in Game of Thrones, and I had to go back and say, wait, who was she in that? Because she was a, a very different character. Um, yeah, she's and she plays the, well, that's, that's what's also good about the show is the nuances of characters. You know, she plays that really officious, kind of obnoxious person, but there's so much vulnerability in there that he can see, you know, and then so you see her, the way she responds to him seeing it and just not... You know, I think a lot of times those officious people are just so disarmed when you when people the other person doesn't fall for it because 99 percent of the people are just going to say, oh, OK, and, and just let her be, you know, but he just kind of tries to get inside that with her. And she, um, she you can just see her, you know, sort of moving really, really quickly from from sort of almost falling for it, but then like maintaining her facade again and going back and forth. And she's just wonderful. Yeah, she's fun. Jim, any thoughts on Hannah? Yeah, yeah. I think um, if this was not written as well, we would not see her um, seize the opportunity to, to make so much out of her part. And and um, and one of the things, uh, to Irene's point, is, you know, Ted is kind of like the good cop of the good cop, bad cop, and he doesn't really need the bad cop. If If this was not as well written she would be the person she would be the bad guy or mm. a bad guy but she's not at all as we find out because he's a good cop and he knows how to find his way into people's hearts somehow uh, including mine if i even think about it <laughs> well they're, uh, they're doing also kind of a there's a sort of bruce willis sybil shepherd thing that they're doing there uh with the chemistry between them uh and and keeping us at bay uh, as much as we might want to, as uh, Rebecca Castellani would shop, would say, you know, shop that on, relationship. To, yeah. I would also say that's a good point because none of this is super original. It's right. not super inventive. It's just really authentic. It feels really uh, 
uh, heartwarming, I guess. Yeah. I've been thinking of it as the producers because it's kind of a combination of the producers about, you know, some people who are intentionally trying to fail at something. And, of course, Hoosiers uh, about a, a coach uh, trying to rehabilitate himself in, in a different context. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so we're we're running down the clock a little bit. I, I just wanted to quickly shout out and then I think maybe either both of you should mention either a performance or some grace notes uh, or something that, that you like. Uh, there's uh, an actor named Brett Goldstein who's playing uh, a tormented soccer player named Roy Kent. Uh, I think he's the other person who's giving a performance where I have a hard time taking my eyes off of him, uh, both he and Hannah Waddingham. When they're in a shot, you kind of want to look at them and see what they're doing, even if they're not even the main person in the shot. And I also quickly want to say, I think the thing the show doesn't do well, oddly enough, is soccer slash football um, in, in the sense that there are, I don't think the cast is able to, uh, with some exceptions, I don't think most of the cast is able to pull off real, authentic-looking uh, Premier Soccer League-type playing, not in the way that Friday Night Lights could give you football scenes that kind of looked, looked really like football. And so they're kind of... You know, there's often a scene where they leave the locker room to go play some really important game. And then the next thing you see is them coming back into the locker room, having either won or lost the game. And it's like, really? You're just not going to show us anything? Um, which Do I found a little bit that's a budget. Would that be a budget issue? I mean, I, I noticed know. that. And I don't even know how important it is to the show yeah. uh, that they're just sort of glossing over the soccer part of it. Um, uh, yeah. but, but I wonder if you know, the budget to stage a huge game, although they do have some huge games. So I don't know what that's like. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I don't know whether a it's a budget consideration either. I think it's more, you know, to do it and to do it convincingly, the actors really have to, you know, have a pretty high comfort level with the game itself. And, and, and maybe they just don't. Um, I think the guy who plays Roy Kent is really good at looking like he's kind of getting old and slow, which is actually part of the plot line uh, about him. So, yeah, Irene, great. I don't know. You get, really? you, maybe, you, Irene, you get the last word here. Uh, I would about, say that but, uh, I don't know her name, but the woman that plays the girlfriend um, is so is. I, I loved her. Yeah. And she, you know, I thought it's interesting how the rivalries are between the men, not between the women in here. They're, they, you know, in a way that it, it would almost the classic setup would be that the two women would be rivals in some way. But it's the men who who are who are like sort of having these spats about who's a better who's better. And I think that's kind of an interesting twist. Yes, Juno Temple playing Keely Jones is who you're talking about. Um, yes. So, yes, I think we recommend this. Uh, it's also been greenlighted, I believe, for a second and third season. Um, I, I don't want to do anything that's a spoiler. I would just say that even if I'd, nobody had told me that, I would know it because they left enough doors open uh, at the end of the final episode that it just it's almost essential that people walk through some of those doors. So, But I think all of us recommend Ted Lasso. Once again, it's on Apple+. Plus. Uh, you can figure out how to get Apple+, Plus and how to get rid of Apple+, Plus when, you're, when you've had your way with it, as it were. Uh, all right, so let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll make some recommendations.
So since we were just talking about women playing key roles in sports franchises, uh, this just in, as they say, the uh, Marlins have named the first ever woman uh, in general manager in Major League Baseball. Uh, so if you think the Marlins are a Major League Baseball team, uh, no, they're, they're much better now. Um, so um, I quickly got to thank Cat Pastor, uh, who is there in the studio making everything so uh, great for us, uh, playing all the clips and just keeping the show running, uh, making it possible for me to be where I am and Jonathan McPants, the producer of The Nose, to be where he is. Uh, and we're going to be back. I could talk about Monday's show. I believe I'm allowed to talk about Monday's show. We've got a great show, actually, on Monday. I, I sound like some kind of jerk host, but um, but it really is true. Uh, Ross Garber, uh, who, of course, uh, is from Connecticut and made his uh, early reputation in Connecticut and has gone on to be America's foremost impeachment lawyer. Impeaching the boss, better call Ross. Uh, he's going to be joining us uh, to talk about, I mean, he doesn't just only know about impeachment law, but sort of about how things are setting up right now. Uh, and then Angie Rasmussen, one of the leading uh, experts on COVID-19, on the virology and epidemiology uh, of COVID-19. She's been with us before. Uh, she's coming back again. Uh, I already know some of the stuff we're going to talk about, and I'm very excited. So it's going to be a great show Monday. Uh, meanwhile, we've got a great show today. We've got uh, Jim Chapterlin. We've got Irene Papoulis. We're going to make some recommendations. Uh, Jim, why don't you go first? All right. I know we don't do uh, self-promotion on this show, but I just want to tell you, uh, in 2021, myself and thousands of musicians will have gigs, we think. And that's that's all I could say about that. Um, so in these times where we're both basically locked in our rooms, um, it's mostly media that I'm consuming, uh, especially after the election and the, um, the angst that accompanies it and Georgia, et cetera. So I would recommend a show you guys talked about previously, uh, The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Um, it was a great... Uh, step away from politics um and and a soothing thing for me uh that i recalled i think um one of your other panelists bill usman um referenced the pat Metheny group uh record off ramp and it just brings me a lot of comfort to hear that um my favorite pianist Keith Jarrett recently had a stroke. I don't know if he'll be playing again. So you owe it to yourself to go visit his concerts. There's tons of them on YouTube. You can hear him play Oh Danny Boy and You'll Weep or Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And you can also hear him explore things that are mind-blowing. And finally, uh, the Dave Chappelle, Dave Letterman, the two Daves interview, um, returns a, uh, gives a lot of insight into where Dave Chappelle is coming from. I know he's lost some people recently and, mm -hmm. and he almost lost me, but uh, having seen this interview, he's kind of got me back. All right. Lucy seems to not agree with you, but um, uh, let's uh, <laughs> that's Jim's talk. Um, so Irene, what have you got to recommend? Okay. <clears throat> when I was on Apple TV, I, I started watching Tehran, which is also on there, Apple Plus. It's a, and, and I'm a sucker for smart spy thrillers and scenes of Tehran. So it was kind of interesting, but I don't really know yet because I just started it, but it was good. I liked it. But I also really want to recommend poetry because I feel like poetry is the opposite of what we're going through right now. You know, things that you don't necessarily, you can't necessarily spell out. And so like the other day, I just pulled my Wallace Stevens and off the shelf and read 13 ways of looking at a blackbird. And it's such a, it's such a lovely poem. You know, I was, a, I was of three minds, like a tree in which there are three blackbirds. 
just right. let it sit there, you know. Yeah. Then I thought, okay, Louise Gluck, she won, she just won the new Nobel Prize. So I didn't have any of her books, and so I went to my local public library, you know, and and, and just found a book on there. And they, you know, it's only it's by appointment only, and I got a book of hers, and I've been reading it. And you know, I, I recommend just go to your public library, think of any poet you can think of, and and read some of their books. Just get some of their books and read whatever you want. Dip in. It's not for school. It's just to let it be there. Let it let it sit in your mind and nurture you. Okay, some quick factoids. It's actually Louise Glick. Uh, her father uh, helped invent the exacto knife. Her uncle kind of invented the exacto knife, but then her father figured out uh, how to use it. Uh, and uh, thirteen ways of looking at a blackbird, and many other. Uh, while Stevens' poems were written right outside the window of where Cat Pastor is sitting right now, uh, as um, Stevens walked back and forth to and from his job uh, at the Hartford Insurance Group. So anyway, th- those are my factoids. Uh, so here's my Papulian through line. Uh, we were talking before the show about what it is like to succeed somebody very famous uh, and somebody who has defined a job. Uh, Irene brought up Garrison Keillor. Well, of course, Christy Thiele was the person who replaced Garrison Keillor and eventually found a way to do the show. Uh, I thought that really worked for him. Uh, and um, uh, so the the through line is that from that show, uh, which turned into Live From Here, is an Americana band, the, the house band led by Sarah Jaraz singing Billie Eilish's Bad Guy live. And it is just terrific. And it is very, very impressive that they could even do this. They just had this ability to knock out these songs, much like Jim's band, The Shinolas, actually. Uh, so that's very impressive and very fun. Jason Sudeikis's dancing, which we see a little bit uh, on um, uh, on Ted Lasso, uh, I think derives from the uh, guy in the red and white tracksuit dancing on the recurring sketch "What Up with That," uh, hosted by Keenan Thompson on Saturday Night Live. There's a supercut, uh, a 30 second supercut of all of Jason Sudeikis's jumps. Uh, as that dancing tracksuited white guy, which you can very easily find on the internet, and it will make you smile if it doesn't make you laugh. Uh, I hope that we made you smile here today. How could you not smile with such wonderful guests here? So, yes, Jim Chapdelaine, Irene Papoulis, thanks for being with us. We'll be back on Monday, if the good Lord's willing and the creek doesn't rise. Yeah, yeah, yeah.